book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We continue our study through Paul's letter uh, to this church there in the city of Thessalonica. You know, there are a lot of positives about being part of a smaller church. Uh, one of which is that it's, it's like a family and you know everybody. But there are some negatives to being part of a smaller church. It's like a family. You know everybody. You know, unfortunately, families can be either a source of great joy in our lives or sometimes a tremendous source of, of pain. You know, in ministry, in times like weddings and funerals and such, as you would think families would be closer to one another. It's sometimes in those situations you see families uh, uh, splitting apart. You know, how quickly we underestimate the importance of the bonds of family. That's why I believe family reunions are important. Uh, there are opportunities for uh, family members to get together and, and to be reminded of how necessary and how important those family relationships are. And as true as that is with our earthly families, it's even, I believe, more important for church families, spiritual brothers and sisters, to understand the importance of the bond that we share and I believe that uh, through reading our text this morning, you will reinforce your emotional and spiritual commitment to your family in this church. I believe through what Paul says to this church there at Thessalonica that you will be challenged to reinforce your commitments emotionally and spiritually to those whom we refer to as our church family. Let me invite you to stand at this time if you are able to. This is in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. And yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Let's pray together. Father, as we enter into this time of reflecting on your word, I pray, God, you would uh, speak to us loud and clear that we will see these words not as the words of a man to a church, although they are that, but we'd also see these words as inspired of God. We would see these words as true and trustworthy. We would see these words as authoritative over our lives. Holy Spirit, as you breathe out these words to the pen of the Apostle Paul, I pray that you would breathe out the meaning of this text into our lives today. If your word is living and active, it means something to us today. Lord, what is that? I pray you would instruct us. Father, whatever decisions need to be made as a result of your spirit moving, I pray we would hear, we would obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
When we started this journey through this letter from Paul, we noticed in the book of Acts chapter 17, we have the story of Paul and Timothy and Silas coming to this Greek city and beginning a ministry there and sharing the gospel and seeing people get saved. And This church was born and, and through Paul's time there, he grew to love those people very much. And Unfortunately, there were some uh, in the city there that were not excited about what Paul was doing and about what Paul was saying. And so they incited a mob and that mob came and, and they came searching for Paul, could not find him, but found one of his associates named Jason and they drug him before the civil authorities and they said, we want this to stop. And we read in the book of Acts that it said Jason gave a pledge and was released and after that Paul and Timothy and Silas left the city. So we read about Paul's hasty and forced departure and then we come to this letter and we can see Paul as, as, a, as a spiritual leader to this church, how much he longed to be with them and how he was worried about them. He was concerned about them. And so he wrote this letter as a statement of his heart. And we see Paul's heart for these people. And I think it's a, it's a beautiful picture of a, of a pastor's love for his church and as the love that should exist between members of a congregation. As Paul writes to reaffirm his love and his commitment, I believe there are lessons that we can draw from what Paul was saying and we can apply to our lives today here as members of Ephesus Baptist Church. First of all, I think we should know that we share a common family. A common family that as part of this church, you are a part of a, of a deep spiritual connection in fact I believe the bonds that exist between Christians are deeper even than the bonds that exist between blood family because we share a common family in verse 17 we read about our personal affection for one another Paul says but we brethren brethren he uses that word brethren or brothers 18 times in this short letter it's five chapters long, but 18 times Paul addresses these people as my brothers, my brothers, my, my family, those whom I love. In fact, it's not just Paul saying that in verse 17. He says, but we, brethren. And so Paul's sentiment was a shared sentiment. Timothy felt the same thing for these people. And so did Silas. They, they considered them to be brothers in the faith. And so there was a personal affection that they shared for one another. And I think it's important for us as we speak to one another and we speak about one another, that we refer to one another in words of devotion, in words of affection. We refer to one another as brother and sister. It's a sign of admiration. It's a sign of respect for one another. Paul addressed them as his brothers. We should see our church family likewise in our personal affection. In verse 17, we also read about uh, Paul, his absence from them, and we read about our painful absence. When we are apart from one another, there should be something of us that is missing when we are not together. Verse 17, he says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you, the word there literally means having been orphaned from you, having been, having been torn away, Paul's talking about the, the way in which he had to leave that, that city and leave those people. It broke his heart. 
It's Paul again referring to, to his connection that he has with that church in chapter 2. We already read about in verse 7. He says that he was as a nursing mother tenderly caring for her own children when he was with them. In verse 11, he also said that he was exhorting and encouraging and imploring them as a father with his own children. And so Paul continues this family metaphor with them. And he says, I'm like a mother to you or a father to you, but now I've been torn away and, and I've been orphaned from you. Paul was saying there is something that is missing when we're not together. In fact, he says, having been taken away or torn apart from you for a short while, Paul was saying, you know, this absence, it hasn't been for that long. It wasn't that long ago I had to leave, but we pray this absence is, is, is just a short one. And then he says, in person, not in spirit, literally in face, but not in heart. Paul was saying, I physically cannot be with you right now. But wherever you are, that is where my heart is. There is a painful absence, an emotional tie that Paul shares with his church family that we also should share with one another. We think about church family that are out today traveling. We've got several out for the holidays. We've got some that are homesick or, or with children that are sick. And the fact that they are not with us... It, it breaks our heart. We, we, would, we want our family together. And, and whenever we are not here, when we're gone on vacation or, or whatever that might hinder us from attending, I, I believe that there is something that ought to be missing in our lives because we long for one another and we enjoy one another and there should be a painful absence. Verse 17 speaks about our purposeful assembling. Also, Paul says, in person, not in spirit, we were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. It's very strong terminology, isn't it? We were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Paul says, in the meanwhile, all I can do is write to you this letter, and this letter is just a, a temporary substitute because I really want to be with you. I want to enjoy your company. I want to laugh together. I want to, I want to weep together. I want to talk about life together. I want, I want to share the gospel and advance God's kingdom together. And so when we come together, it's for a purpose. It's what we do on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. Whenever we gather, there is a purpose to this. It's because we are family and family should be together families should stick together and even though Paul only knew those people for a very short period of time there was a strong bond there there was a family bond my second to last semester at seminary I had a class that was called the practice of ministry and it was about dealing with practical things uh, as you are pastoring a church things that you will have to to come up on and things you'll have to do, baptisms and, and, and that nature. And, and how do you practice these things? How do you go about doing these things? And, and as the very first day, they were calling out the role, and, and uh, I noticed that there was another person, another guy in there, last name was Raider. And I was like, that's kind of bizarre. It's not a very common last name, Raider. And so we got together after class. Maybe you all have, have heard this story before because you've met this young man. His name is Kyle. And we got to talking about it and asking, you know, where, where are you from? Where are you from? 
found out he was from Rockcastle County, and I said, well, my, my, my dad lived in Rockcastle County for a while, and we got to talking, found out that my dad and his dad were first cousins. And that means our grandfathers were brothers. And we had never met each other. You know, at this point in time, we were in our 30s, and and both called into ministry and called to preach. And it's like our lives were on, on dual trajectories, and we had never crossed paths before. But we met that day in the hallway at the seminary, and from that point on, it struck up a close fellowship, a strong bond, because we're family. We're family. We're third cousins, or ever how that works. But you know, even more important than that, we're brothers. We're brothers in Christ. If you are a Christian, then you're my brother or you're my sister. When I baptized Allison this morning, I said, it's my privilege as your pastor and your brother in Christ. It's my little sister. And that's the way we need to address one another and, and consider one another. We're family. We share a common family. But not only that, verse 18 shows us we share a common foe. A common foe. The old saying is, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And if I've got an enemy and you've got the same enemy, then common sense says we ought to join forces so we can combat this enemy. And the Bible tells us we do share a common foe. It's the reality of a personal Satan. Paul refers to him in verse 18. He says, Satan hindered us. The Bible teaches us that there is a spiritual being that rebelled against God, a spiritual being that, that hates God, that opposes the Lord, opposes His people, opposes His work, and anything that reflects God and His character. We face a real enemy, a living enemy, a very powerful enemy. And if he is real and he is living and he is powerful, then again, common sense says we ought to unite. We ought to join forces and fight this enemy. Because if you don't take the fight to him, he's going to bring the fight to you. That is guaranteed. What do we know about this enemy? Well, verse 18 says he is our resistant enemy. Resistant. Paul says, for we wanted to come to you. But Satan hindered us. Paul says, we wanted to be with you. Why? Because Paul knew that if he was there with that church, he could teach them. He could pray with them. He could strengthen their faith. He could make that church a stronger, more Christ-like fellowship. Satan doesn't want that. He wanted to keep Paul away from that congregation. He wants to keep you away from this congregation. Why? Because when we come together, we are stronger. When we come together, we have more gifts and more abilities and more talents and more can get accomplished. When we come together, you can serve others and you can grow in your faith and they can be blessed and you will be blessed. Satan doesn't want this, folks. So he's going to do whatever he can to keep you away from your church family. He would rather you be independent, therefore weaker. We have a resistant enemy. Paul says, we wanted to come to you, but it was Satan's determination to thwart God's plans. We need to know that he is resisting you and your spiritual growth as well. Not only is he a resistant enemy, he is our relentless enemy. Paul says in verse 18, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, 
more than once. And Satan hindered us. Paul says, I I wanted to come that one time, but then Satan did this. Or I wanted to come that other occasion, and then Satan reared his ugly head and stopped me again. Paul says, he is a resistant enemy. He is relentless. He won't stop. And just because you might win a battle over him on one occasion doesn't mean he won't come back. He's relentless. He knows his time is short. He knows his doom is sure. He knows Christ died on the cross and rose again. He knows the kingdom of this world is slipping through his hands and he is not going to quit. He's not going to let up until that final day where he is cast into the lake of fire. We have an enemy who is relentless. He repeatedly fights us. Therefore, we need one another repeatedly. A relentless enemy. He is a resourceful enemy. Verse 18 goes on to say, I wanted to see you. I wanted to come to you more than once, but yet Satan hindered us. John MacArthur says that the word hinder there is a military term, which means to to dig a trench or to break up the road, to put an obstacle in the path of an enemy army an approaching army. You want to you keep them from getting to you, so what do you do? You dig a, you dig a ditch that, that hinders their progress, or you break up, you bust up the road, and so they'll have a, a more difficult time of getting to you. And he says that's what Satan has done to us, and that's what, he, that's what he always does. He opposes. He puts obstacles in the pathway. He digs the ditch. He breaks the road, whatever he can do to hinder you to stop you from growing and to stop you from associating with the local church is what he's going to do. Now, what was, he, what was he doing? How did he hinder Paul? Well, there's a lot of speculation about that. You know, maybe Paul had some sort of a physical ailment. We read about in 2 Corinthians, Paul says he has a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan that continually torments him. Some people have speculated that Paul's eyesight was poor. Some have said maybe it was that, that pledge that Jason made in Acts 17. Maybe, maybe that pledge was to the political forces there that Paul and, and Timothy and Silas would leave town and not come back. Maybe Paul says, you know, I would love to be with you, but I know if I come to you, it's going to be a great source of difficulty for you. At the bottom line, we don't, we don't know. But all we know is that he is resourceful. He'll do whatever he can. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 6. He talks about the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. He's very wise, very tricky. He's older than you are. He's been, he's been around longer than humankind. He knows the way we work. He knows the way we tick. He knows what buttons to push. And he'll do whatever he can, whatever techniques at his disposal you know what's interesting Paul's talking about you know we wanted to come to you but Satan hindered us back in Acts chapter 16 we talked about this before Paul even came to Greece Paul says we were in Asia and we were wanting to preach the gospel there but he says the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us and then he had the vision of the man from Macedonia and said come to us And so he says we went up to Europe and into Greece and began to preach and so it's interesting that Paul in one occasion said the Holy Spirit God wouldn't let us preach there 
And then on this situation, he says, Satan hindered us. It's interesting that Paul was so close to God that he could, in his spirit, sense when, okay, this is just God closing a door because God is opening a door elsewhere that he wants me to go through. Or on a separate occasion, he says, this is merely just a ploy of Satan trying to hinder me from doing what God wants me to do. Paul was so close to God, he could sense the difference. He knew when the hand of God was in it, or he knew also when the hand of the adversary was in there trying to muddle up the work. But you know what the beautiful thing is? Even when Satan does oppose and Satan thinks he is hindering Paul and Satan thinks, I am really doing damage to the kingdom of God because I'm preventing Paul from getting to that city. So what does Paul do? Under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul takes up a pen and writes this letter that was inspired Scripture that God records in His Word, not just for that church in Thessalonica, but for all believers of all ages. So for 2,000 years, what was when Paul's heart was not only ministering to that congregation face to face, what was on Paul's heart has ministered to millions. Satan was hindering Paul from being in Thessalonica, but because Paul was hindered from being there, Paul wrote a letter a book of the Bible. And so even when Satan's involved, God trumps him one better. And it's really cool to see God at work. We share a common foe. Therefore, we need to come together and come together often. Finally, we share a common future as Christians. Our, our union goes beyond just the here and now. You know, we are common family here and now. In this place, in this time, in this setting, you and I as members of this church, as part of this church family, we share a common bond. But that bond is going to go beyond just right here, right now. Beauty is that bond is going to go on for eternity. Paul speaks about that in verses 19 and 20. First of all, he talks about our reward together. In verse 19, Paul says, For... Because, he says, the reason why I wanted to be with you face to face because who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? And right there we, we expect Paul to say, it's Jesus. But Paul says, is it not even you? And it kind of catches us off guard. We say, wait a minute, we would think Paul's hope and Paul's joy and crown of exaltation. We would think that that was Jesus, but Paul says, stop and think about this. In reality, as Christians, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to share the gospel with people who are lost, and we are to love fellow Christians and, and love others, love our neighbors as ourselves. So to fulfill what God wants us to do as a Christian, you can't do that on your own. You can't fulfill God's purpose and God's will for your life on your own. Individually, you can't do it. To fulfill God's plan for you, it requires you to be with others. It requires you to be involved with others and invest with others and share and minister and encourage and be encouraged and be served with others and by others. So Paul says this crown, it's not like this, the, the gold 
thing that we think of when you think of a king. It's the victor's crown. In the Olympics, back in Paul's day, they didn't get the, the gold, silver, and bronze medals. They got, a, they got a wreath, a garland wreath that they would wear on their head. And, and when they won that wreath, that crown, it was a sign of accomplishment. It was a reward. It was something that they could be proud in. And wherever they go, they would, they would find special privileges and benefits because you had that crown. And Paul says, in the presence of Christ, Paul says, I'm going to point to you. I'm going to find my boast in you. My hope is that you will be there with me. Paul says, my joy is that you will be there with me. And the crown that I'm going to receive from Jesus, the reward I'm going to receive, we're going to receive that together. Because Paul says in verse 19, who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus? Paul says, our hope is you in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Our joy is you in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Our crown, our reward is you in the presence. Paul says, we're going to be there together, folks. And I can't get a reward unless you're there with me. And you can't get a reward unless I'm there with you. Paul says, we're in this together. We have a future together. And Paul was excited about their future together. His faithful service to Jesus required him sharing the gospel with the sinner and speaking about Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of those who didn't deserve it. Speaking about Jesus rising from the dead so that those who did not deserve life could have life eternal in Him. Paul says, my, my, my faithful service to Jesus requires me to share the gospel to the sinner. My faithful service to Jesus requires me to love the fellow saints, my brothers in the Lord. Paul says, our reward is together. Verse 19 also says, our rescue is together. Verse 19, he says, our, our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? Paul says, not just my Jesus, he says, our Lord Jesus at His coming. All throughout this letter, Paul references the second coming of Jesus Christ. So basically, this letter is living in light of that fact Jesus is coming back. And Paul says, when He does, He's coming for my rescue. He's coming for your rescue. He's coming for our rescue. Our Lord Jesus. At His coming. At His, literally, at His presence we will be in the presence of Christ as Christians together it means I will be there and you will be there and we'll be there together our rescue is together as Jesus is coming back again for us finally verse 20 Paul speaks about our rejoicing together he answers his own question who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? And he answers it emphatically. Verse 20 says, For you, you are our glory. You are our boast. We can't boast in ourselves, but we can boast in you because you have accepted Jesus. And we share this common bond. Paul says, You are our glory and our joy. 
Paul says, in light of what's going to happen in the future, how much more should that impact us now? If we're going to be rewarded together, and we're going to be rescued together, and we're going to rejoice together, why not rejoice here and now together? Why not enjoy one another's company now? Because that's what church is. It is a dress rehearsal for eternity. Because it's not just about you being in the presence of Jesus. It's about you and all other brothers and sisters in Christ being in the presence of Jesus. And if we're going to do that then, why not now? Why not enjoy one another now? I ran across a a poem a few years ago. It said this, "To, To live above with the saints we love. Oh yes, that will be glory. But to dwell here below with the saints I know, well, that's another story. I'm so grateful that that is not the reality for Ephesus Baptist Church. I'm so grateful to pastor a congregation that truly cares about one another. A church that that is invested in one another. A church that serves each other. A church that will come together and pray for and encourage and celebrate together in a church that weeps together. How do I know that this is that kind of a church? Well, I know when service is over today, even though we might be a little after 12 o'clock today, it doesn't seem like anybody's in a rush to get away from each other. I see just the opposite. I see people lingering together. I see people coming together and it's almost like, you know, they don't want to leave. (laughs) Well, we have our greeting time on Sundays. Even though we said just greet those around you in your immediate circle, I knew that wasn't going to (laughs) happen. I I knew better, but I just threw it out there this way, you know, in case somebody says, man, it went kind of long. Well, you know, I, I tried. I know you all love each other too much. I know that when you leave this place, if you haven't shaken every hand or hugged every neck, you feel bad about it. And you say, I didn't, get, I didn't get a chance to see so-and-so. And I'll hear that sometimes. On Sunday nights, we come together and somebody says, I didn't get to shake that hand today or I didn't get to hug that neck. You know, it, it is as if when we have our greeting time and we're all over the, the congregation, all over the sanctuary here, it's almost like we wish that moment could go on forever. But you know what? One day it will. One day it will. We are with Christ. We are with the entire body of believers redeemed throughout all the world across all of the ages. We're going to have our fellowship time and our greeting time. And it's going to go on and on and on. And it won't be just us. There's going to be other believers. Now think about that. People you've never met before. It's going to be just like me and Kyle coming together and saying, you know what? We were family and we didn't even know each other, but now we're family. Come here. Let me hug you. Let me love you. And I pray that this message today has led you to reinforce your emotional and your spiritual connection to this body of believers as you look around this sanctuary and you see each other's faces and and there's a lot of new faces you know that's one challenge that that I have as a pastor as this church is growing and I've shared this before I want to see this church grow 
I want to see this church get bigger. I want to see more people coming, more people saved, more lives transformed. I want that, and I pray you want that too. I also want to keep that small church family vibe that we have. And it's a tough thing to do when you've got a lot more people. It's harder, but I believe with spiritual maturity and through prayer and a, and a willingness to come and invest yourself in the lives of others, I believe it's possible. And that's my prayer. My prayer for this congregation. That we continue loving each other. What, what has been the history of this church, I pray that it will go long into the future until Jesus comes back. That we are a church that truly loves and cares for one another. Because the bottom line is this. The Christian faith is a common fellowship. Christian faith is a common fellowship. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you share a common bond with all other believers in Jesus Christ. And as I shared before, I believe this is true. The bond between Christians is a bond that's even deeper than the bond of family, earthly family. Because why? The bond between earthly family members, if not every member, is saved. That family one day will be separated. But if that family is born again in Jesus Christ, that family will stay together. And so I want to close by challenging you to think about your life. Think about your family. Do you have members of your family that are saved? Do you have members of your family that are lost? Are you saved? Are you born again by the grace of God? Are you a new creation, a new creation through faith in Jesus Christ? If Jesus were to come back, he's coming again. It says, if he comes back today, where are you going? Where is the rest of your family going? The bond between Christians is the strongest of all bonds. I pray that leads you to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. I pray it leads you to witness, testify to those who need to accept him as well. Because church ought to be the place where the heart is. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you at this time just grateful for the opportunity to gather, grateful for the opportunity to, to unite, for this reunion that's taken place here today. Over the last several days, Lord, you've, you've sent us in different directions doing various things, but you saw fit to draw us back to our home here with other Christians today. Father, we rejoice in the presence of, of having guests with us. Perhaps believers from other congregations have joined us today and, and we recognize them. They are family too because we are one family in Christ. Lord, maybe somebody here today doesn't have a church home. Maybe they've been coming to Ephesus for a long time now. Or maybe this is their first Sunday here. But 